0: Kia I'm Mark Jennings and today on The Detail, trust in the media is on the slide, both here and overseas. You can feel it fraying, you can feel the, the influences of the polarisation for example out of the US which um, you know plays in everybody's media and, and how that, that's putting new, new pressures on as well. Last year's AUT Trust in News survey found that just 45% of us were prepared to say we trust the news most of the time. And in this year's survey, fresh out this week, it's fallen again to just 42%.
1: Although the BBC is the most fantastic public institution, it's really important that the public maintains its trust in it. And uh, what we've heard from audiences is that some people think it's biased.
0: Here in New Zealand, the problem has not been helped by politicians who attack reporters and interviewers who dare to ask the tough questions. And during the election campaign, threats from politicians were coming thick and fast. Democracy's about hearing both sides of the story, not
2: hearing arrogant, jumped up, overpaid people think they know more about this country. Mr. Peters, you have failed against co-governance. Thank you, Jack. You just made a hopeless case here. You've you've, you've failed against co-governance. For us to make sure we get the broadcasting portfolio after this election. Is that a threat, Mr. Peters? (laughs) If you keep doing negative interviews like this, you won't
0: won't help, Jack. Politicians and journalists have always had a combative relationship. As a young journalist, I remember being laid into by the fearsome Robert Muldoon, a National Prime Minister who had a particular dislike for reporters and their pesky questions. Prime Minister, it's
3: the customary caption, in uh, an just, interview just for the
2: interviewer to ask questions yes, and for well, them to be I answered don't, I'm singly. Not, I'm not much interested in what's customary.
0: But things have got worse, much worse. Blaming the media for everything is now a national pastime. In my 22 years as head of TV3 News and seven years as co-editor of Newsroom, I've seen the public trust in the media decline to a point where it's impacting our democracy. Victoria University's communications lecturer Peter Thompson has spent most of his working life observing the media and he agrees.
3: This is one of the reasons why I think it's so dangerous if people in significant positions of responsibility, such as government ministers, perpetuate these myths that somehow none of the media can be trusted at all. I mean, that engenders a deep kind of cynicism that's harmful and corrosive to all forms of democratic politics.
0: A new low appeared to be reached at the end of last year.
2: A new government was sworn in today, but the old Winston Peters turned up, accusing the outgoing government of bribing the media. You cannot defend $55 million of bribery. Get it very clear.
0: That $55 million refers to the now-finished Public Interest Journalism Fund, a pot of money Labor set aside to strengthen journalism. It funded the detail, for example. Perhaps worse than Peters' remarks, though, was the casual response from other MPs who failed to call him out.
1: Has Winston Peters been truthful and accurate in his claim that the government has bribed media? Uh, Look, I think that Winston's being Winston. He's not the only politician in Parliament who's been critical of the media. Uh, That's just something that's par for the course, really.
0: The reality is, he was expressing the views that a lot of people think actually, which is that the Public Interest Journalism Fund um, didn't didn't work that well, actually. But it's, it, it no, it's a, a, lie. It, that's
1: a lie. That's a lie,
0: Chris. Mm. And that is the job of you as the government to clear up, because otherwise it just plays into that perception and f- adds fuel to the fire. You cannot have the Deputy Prime Minister just echoing the ramblings of some conspiratorial lunatics on Twitter. Newsroom's political editor Joe Moyer says Act leader David Seymour did call Peters out in a blunt statement, saying the bribery allegation
1: didn't pass the sniff test. He was basically saying that what Winston Peters was suggesting wasn't true. Now, Christopher Luxon and Chris Bishop could have also made those comments and could have differentiated between not agreeing with the policy but also saying, well, obviously this isn't what was happening and journalists weren't being bribed especially when you take into consideration that that $55 million was actually not able to be used for political journalism. So when Winston Peters talks about the political journalists in the press gallery having been bribed, it is nonsensical. Um, but no, they didn't. Um, the The National Prime Minister and, and Senior Minister decided that they would, I guess, not a uh, Wholeheartedly agree with what Winston Peters was saying, but definitely um, muddied it a little bit by not being clearer about the fact that they didn't believe that journalists were being bribed um, and just left it open to interpretation and talked about this public perception, which um, is, you know, a bit of an uncomfortable space to leave it in when it's pretty well known um, and established that that is not the case.
0: I think, Joe, there, there were 92,000 pieces of content. Produced under the PIJF and not one complaint of media bias was upheld. So it is baseless. Why do you think Lux and, and Bishop were not straighter about this?
1: Well, I probably would say that they had the cover of that public perception. I mean, this has been a, a big issue. You only need to spend two minutes on social media um, in particular Twitter now known as X which um, you know don't necessarily recommend anyone spend two minutes on there at the best of times um, but this is a really really common theme and I think what you saw with National is that um, very early on and, and, and still now even and I think this will continue throughout the three years of this term, there is a little bit of walking on eggs, there's a little bit of being mindful of their coalition partner New Zealand First um, and Winston Peters and the positions he takes on things and wanting to not sort of say, well, he's outright incorrect. However, I think David Seymour probably did a pretty good job of doing that without necessarily being offensive to Winston Peters in the process. But yes, National probably in that situation felt like they had some cover with the fact that a large chunk of the population simply does not understand how that public interest journalism fund was actually operating. There is a lot of misinformation out there about it. And unfortunately, rather than taking an opportunity to clear that up, it's just kind of fed in more to that uh, public perception.
0: Former MP Peter Dunn told our producer Alexia Russell he was surprised there wasn't a stronger reaction from Peter's colleagues
2: my initial reaction was like probably most other politicians and that is oh well that's just Winston but when you think about it it was a much more uh, sinister attack than just some cavalier lines thrown around this was an attempt to intimidate to set an agenda that was clearly that we're in charge now and that you people aren't going to tell us uh, what to do and what to say and I think that um, if you take the politics out of it I think that there was a call for a stronger response from some politicians I'm a little bit surprised that there wasn't. I suspect their view was, well, if we just sort of shut up about it, it'll all go away. The problem is, what it does is, if it's not challenged, is it creates an impression in people's minds that there might be some substance in what's being said. And I think that then tarnishes all future perceptions of comments by politicians and media. And I just don't think it's helpful. It was unfortunate.
0: It doesn't go away and it festers.
2: Yeah, I think it does fester. I mean, there will always be people who will believe that there's a giant conspiracy out there, um, that the media aren't credible, that the media um, are, are biased, all of those sorts of things. Now, I'm not saying that you know that there aren't elements of truth in those allegations, but there will be people who will just feed on that. And the fact that there was no strong challenge to them will reinforce in their minds that actually he's right. And I think that that that's not healthy for our democracy there needs to be challenge. there needs to be debate and there needs to be response when 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 things are said that people aren't happy with
1: once someone in a position of power like this has made such accusations and they have been left to lie is that a box that can't you can't shut the lid on that box anymore
2: It depends what happens next. I noticed that he hasn't really sort of done much by way of repeating the line. I think that was because the whole plan was to get on top right from the beginning, put everyone on the back foot uh, by making comments that were totally unexpected and wildly inaccurate. Uh, As I say, the fact they've gone unchallenged, in some people's mind will mean they've gone away, but I suspect for a lot of other people they'll still be there lingering and will pop up at some point in the future. And uh, these things never go away, unfortunately.
0: And Peter Thompson says trying to correct that line now is almost impossible.
3: Trying to engage people and and correct disinformation in this current environment is proving really difficult. Once people seem to get it fixed in their minds, you know, that the media are all biased, or mainstream media is just all run by elites and it's against their interests. No amount of rational information or persuasion you know, it seems to get them to budge from that position. And by sim- simply validating public misperceptions, you're not correcting the issue. And I think that the problem here is that those misperceptions then start to translate into the sorts of policies that governments think are, are viable.
0: Peter, you've spent most of your working life studying and watching the media why have we ended up with such low levels of trust and declining levels of trust in the media?
3: I think there's always been a certain degree of scepticism uh, about about media of all varieties. I think what we're seeing more of now is is a deep-seated cynicism towards any kind of media, and particularly so-called mainstream media. Um, And I think that's been exacerbated by the huge quantities of disinformation, or at least uh, dubious information, that circulates through social media.
0: Most people would agree that mainstream media has and does play a really important role in the health of our democracy, yet we see some of the most important figures in democracy, politicians constantly attacking the media how corrosive is this
3: i I certainly think it's corrosive um i think it's quite problematic that that politicians often try and score points on issues related to media by you know attacking the opposition's policy Often these are cheap shots, they're not always well thought out. I thought it was quite instructive that just this last week, uh, Lucy Fraser, you know, the Culture Secretary in the UK, was uh, called to account on Sky News for saying that, that she thought the BBC was biased and when she was asked for examples, really couldn't give one. So I think there's a, there's a tendency for for politicians to engage in point-scoring discourses. You know, where, where they think that a cheap shot at the, the media that, that will appeal to their supporters is going to gain them some sort of political advantage. And often these aren't well thought through arguments. And I think part of the problem here is this very complex symbiotic relationship that we see between you know the media uh, and the sphere of politics um you know politicians need the media <laughs> media need the politicians but in the in the middle particularly where there's such intense competition for eyeballs and advertising we see the space for serious debate being corroded and that's been going on a long time but it's got a lot worse over the last 15 20 years
0: do you think the failing model, the failing economic model of the mainstream media, is one of the root causes of this?
3: I, I think it is. Uh, and the reason I would say that is that when you set up a, a media operation primarily to deliver eyeballs to advertisers or to maximize online traffic, you obviously have an eye on the content being attractive and being able to sustain an audience. And, of course, that, that's, that's a good thing, generally speaking, for all media, you know, including non-commercial media. However, it becomes corrosive when even small margins... Start driving serious decisions about editorial priorities in the newsroom. And what we're seeing, I think, is this shift towards you know, a, a kind of a populist approach to, to, to news where anything that's in depth, serious, or likely to you know, disenchant an audience and get them to switch over is, is, is going to be regarded as, as commercially risky. And once once everything is is dictated through a lens of commercial risk and optimizing eyeballs and revenue, the scope of of genres that are viable economically get get narrowed down. And I think that's part of the problem. I mean, the classic example is, you know, if you go and go and turn on the six o'clock news, how long does a politician have to explain a policy, you know, before before their their soundbite gets cut? You know, I, I've I've done that myself, and I, I think you're lucky if you get ten seconds these days.
1: I think the relationship between um, and I would talk just from the perspective of the press gallery and politicians is is still very much a we need each other relationship. It's always been like that, and you know politicians are well aware that they rely on the press gallery in terms of getting out stories that they want promoted and, and, and want out there whether it's from an opposition perspective or a, or a government perspective um, but also know that you know if, if they stuff up or um, something goes wrong that obviously they'll be how to account on that as well I don't think that relationship has changed at all I think um, you know there's there's always been that sort of I guess respectful understanding that both politicians and political journalists have a job to do And that hasn't, uh, I wouldn't describe that as, as having become more corrosive. Some particular politicians may be more frank about their feelings about journalists, for example, but I wouldn't say it's across the board, no. Well,
0: why do you think Winston is so, I mean, one of the things in his broadcasting policy that was, put out there prior to the election he wanted a royal commission into media bias why is he the the flag bearer for this
1: i think this probably comes back to covid um i think the public perception around particularly the press gallery given we were the ones in the room at one o'clock every day during the pandemic and all of a sudden uh, a press conference in the Beehive Theatreette that basically nobody used to watch became like regular primetime television for people. And all of a sudden the public became very engaged in what the press gallery journalists were asking of politicians. Um, and you have seen that play out in the way that uh, the public, I think, over the last few years has become increasingly more critical, I guess, of of journalists in particular political journalists and again I just point back to, to social media and just sort of general commentary and, and things people actually say to your face in the street as well. Um, you know generally that perception and that sort of trust and that sort of like I guess has um, declined uh, as a result of them kind of seeing us do our jobs in real you know sort of lifetime. And the idea behind those press conferences is uh, not necessarily for it to be public viewing like that because those press conferences aren't the story. They are just part of the mechanism for writing a story or putting a story to TV. And there's all these other sort of bits that happen in the background, which I guess the public don't see. So I guess to to cut a long story short, um, the public now have this kind of... uh, different perspective I guess on the way that journalists do their job and I think Winston Peters has seen an opportunity with that you know he was out of parliament for three years he's always um, had this interesting balance between being quite a defender of journalists sometimes while on the other hand also having a really um, on again off again relationship with them I'm always amused when I think back to you know quite a few years ago now at Waitangi where we were being told that we had to pay like something ridiculous like ten thousand dollars in order to go on to Te Te to film it and Winston Peters announced that he wasn't going to go on to T Te, te because the journalists weren't allowed to go on which seemed kind of bizarre at the time because he's never been the big defender of, of journalists but you know he did actually kind of at times have our back and th- that's changed I just think.
0: Here's Peter Thompson again.
3: How you persuade a politician like that that, that, that actually the world isn't entirely against them I, I'm
0: not quite sure. He says there's quite a trend from politicians, not just in New Zealand, to use the rhetoric of public perception to say there's an issue that must be dealt with.
3: One of the issues that I think we have to be very careful about is that that, that plays into this idea that public perceptions are always valid. And I think you have sometimes you have to call public perceptions out and correct them. And I think the, the some of the discourse around the Public Interest Journalism Fund, that it was all some sort of uh, Maori conspiracy, that all the news had to reflect a, a particular editorial slant on, on Teter um, yeah and, and if you look at it closely, as I've done in a, in a recent uh, conversation piece, that, that wasn't the case at all. I mean, it, it was, it, I can understand why there might have been a perception there, that, that this, the, all the news had to be respectful of the treaty, but that still allowed for a wide variety of opinions. And by sim- simply validating public misperceptions, you're not correcting the issue. And I think that the problem here is that those misperceptions then start to translate into the sorts of policies that governments think are, are viable. Uh, And there's actually some evidence of this. When the previous Labour government formulated its uh, Fair Digital News Bargaining Bill, um, some of the Cabinet papers actually revealed that that they'd considered a number of alternative options but discounted them partly because of concerns that the public perceived publicly funded media uh, as potentially biased. Uh, and, And that simply isn't correct. Um, But rather than actually make the effort to correct public understanding, you know, there was almost uh, an acquiescence to the disinformation. And I think that's terribly dangerous.
2: Perception, when it comes to trust, is just as important as the reality. Is it not? Uh, No. Sometimes perception is completely wrong. I'm not asking if it's right Uh, or wrong,
1: but I'm saying it's just as important when it comes to an issue of trust. Perception is just as important as the reality. Mm.
2: So, so whether or not I agree with you on that, Jack. Okay. So there's a lot lot of perceptions that that people have. So you're not concerned that that, that
1: that many people would look at, say, this show, for example, and say that received money from the Public (laughs) Interest Journalism Fund. I don't trust that show
2: anymore. Yeah. No. I, I am concerned about that because um we have um we, we've got that type of complaint doesn't matter what we say well it doesn't matter the history we give mm-hmm. in terms of funding shows like this there's one view of oh, this is about well, willie jackson paying off jack time i get that yeah. i get that but you're never going to change some of those perceptions
3: there 's a very complex relationship between between the media and the government and the funding bodies um, you know once you 've got a source of funding i think it 's fair to say that you tend to be a little bit protective of that um, i i, I don 't know why there wasn 't a stronger pushback um, on the PIGF criticism from, from people who, for whatever reason, perceived it to be a, an example of the government trying to control the media agenda. Um, and, and that simply wasn't the case at all. Um, most people that understand the media would never say such a thing, um, but if enough voices online start to, to start to snipe at a, a particular policy or a particular funding model, you know the, some of the mud sticks, and I, I I I don't know what we do about trying to get that mud off the you know off public perceptions. It certainly is a problem.
0: There has been quite a lot of talk and discussion in the media, particularly amongst senior editorial people, about whether we should even report Winston Peters' attacks on the media, when he says there's corruption and clearly there's no basis for that, whether we should all just stick together and decide not to report him. What do you think of that idea?
3: (laughs) If if I was a news editor, I think I'd find that very tempting. Um, However, I I think that also might play into Mr Peter's hands, or at least his perceptions, that the media were conspiring against
0: him. That's it for today. The detail is supported by RNZ and New Zealand On Air. Thanks to Peter Thompson, Joe Moyer and Peter Dunn. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel. And our producers are Alexia Russell, Gwen McClure and Davina Zimmer. And I'm Mark Jennings. Mā te wā.